Our scripture reading today is taken from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. And our message today is entitled, The Way Towards Purity. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your, word, on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. May the Lord blessing bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Just look around, just say good morning to each other one more time. Praise be to God that we are gathered here together in the name of Christ Jesus. We're gathered here together to worship our Savior. We are gathered here together as sinners, sufferers, saints, who the Lord has called out of the world. We have a privilege, brothers and sisters, every Sunday to gather together to worship our God freely. We have this privilege, and I, and I hope you seize it, to know that each and every one of us are sojourners in this place, that each and every one of us are broken in many ways. And yet, even in our wanderings and even in our brokenness, there's a God who has come down to love us. And as we behold this holy God, we realize that he deserves all praise and honor. And our hearts begin to sink because we start to realize that we are simply his created beings. And that it has been our sins, our rebellion, that has kept us from knowing him. God, out of his sheer grace and his sheer mercy, has called us to him. And yes, you're still sinners. Yes, you're still wanderers. Yes, you're still sufferers. But God's power and his love and his presence resides with us. So we gather here together, not so much to to share our weaknesses and our sins, and we should, but to declare to one another that our God is good. Our God is powerful. Our God is presence. Our God, if he has overcome our sins by his death on the cross, can he not overcome all the things that we face in this world? And the answer to that is yes. Do not lose hope. 
Do not lose courage. But with every step you take, know that the Lord has ordained those steps. With every battle you face, know that the Lord has already gone before you and have, has won that battle. Rejoice in the Lord who is with you. Now the question for us is, how do we remind ourselves of, of God's greatness and God's goodness? Yes, God calls us to gather here together on the Lord's day to worship him together. God's called us in the midst of, of this worship to, to share in God's greatness and love with, with one another. Once a month, we, we celebrate communion and we, we, we get to taste the bread and to taste the wine and, and we, we, we start to, to see how, how much the reality of his death is, is here in this world. Not a myth, but historical for us, for you and me. God has provided us many instruments or, or means by which we can grow in him. And the most powerful that he has given to his people is the scriptures that you have in your hands. The very word of God. This word of God is not a collection of aphorisms or proverbs or stories. This book is more than simply ancient words written by ancient men. But this word is the word of God that gives life to all who read. And there's beauty about God's word in the sense that we can't understand it all. Not in this lifetime. And there's beauty in, in God's word in the sense that there, are, there will be things and passages that we just can't understand. But should it not be like that? Shouldn't the word of God be so great that it's, it, it's almost impossible for the human mind to wrap its, 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 its well, arms around it to understand everything? Shouldn't that be the mark of transcendence and the mark of God's word? That when we read it, sometimes we're like, I can't believe that our God is X, Y, and Z. I can't believe these stories of X, Y, and Z. Sometimes we read stories and they, and they don't make sense to the modern sensibilities. We see stories of, of, of slavery. We see stories of polygamy. We see stories of, of harsh wars in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we, we see stories of, 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 of a man who's crucified for nothing. And it strikes our sensibilities as, as modern people as this can't be right. But shouldn't the word of God be so great that it challenges our hearts? If we understood everything in God's word right away, it would cease to be God's word. The internal evidence of the stories, 
the internal evidence of, of how it comports and describes reality. And for us, as we continue to walk in Christ, every moment of the day we start to realize that God's word is right. I am wrong. It's as if your parent who's been patient with you telling you all the time be kind to people. Prayer is all we have. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't worry about anything else. As you get older, they were right. God's word has been given to us. And our duty is not simply to understand it, but our duty is to submit to it. It's in our submission to God's word that we're changed. And so I plead with all of you as we go through Psalm 119, and perhaps many of you are reading it, that read it with a heart of submission. Read it and ask the Lord, Lord, the heart of the psalmist for, for your word, may that be my heart. Change me. May there be such a hunger and thirst for God's word amongst us. May the Holy Spirit be gracious to this church that you will go and read. And read with eager expectation that our Father who knows us will change us and show himself to us. Here in our passage today, the psalmist talks about being pure. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Oftentimes when we hear the word purity, we we hear the word Puritan, and unfortunately in this day of age, the Puritans who, are, who should be known for their religious fervor, who should be known for, for leaving England because of tyranny, who should be known for establishing much of, 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 what, of, of the, of the more morality here in the United States of America. That when we hear the word Puritan, instead we hear of, 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 of sexual purity. When we hear the word purity, we, we think of, you know, of, of physical purity. We think of this ascetic lifestyle where we have to recuse ourselves from all physical pleasures. And that word purity in Scripture does not really mean that. In fact, if we listen to the world about what is the definition of purity, you'll hear more of not what to do, and you'll hear more of what not to do. When we think of purity, we think of what should we run away from, but we never hear what we should run towards. 
Purity in our context, in our culture today, is more of things that will shame us. Things that will, that will make us look less than human. But the Lord's definition of purity is a lot different. And the Lord's demand for purity is just a lot deeper. Now, if we go and search through Scripture, there's many places that we can go. But I want to just talk about one particular verse. And this is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And this is the Beatitudes of Jesus. And Jesus in his Beatitudes, in many ways, encapsulates sort of all the morality and understanding morality um, in, in, these, in these Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are righteous, Blessed are those who seek God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And, and one of those beatitudes we find in Matthew 5.8. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will be able to see the Lord. Now, if we look at that passage and we sort of understand what purity's goal is, we can start to recognize what purity or impurity is in Scripture. If the purpose of purity is to see God, to see our Savior, if the purpose of purity is to be able to encounter Jesus and to encounter his love and presence in our lives, if the purpose of purity is to gain that relationship with God, then it has a lot of implications of what purity is not. What if I said to you, blessed are you if you're pure in heart. You will be able to see and love your spouse. Oh, okay, that, that, that changes. Blessed are you who are pure in heart. For you'll be able to, to see your parents or your children in a different light and see their fight, face and love them. It changes the way you look at the word. You see, purity or impurity is anything that prevents us from seeing the face of God. And it just goes to happen that for many of us, the impurity are the things of this world. The Lord wants to know that these things that we have made into images of God, whether it be sexuality, whether it be money, that these things have destroyed our ability to see the Lord face to face. We're impure. We do not have the relationship with the Lord. We are impure. We go about our ways doing things for the glory of man. We're impure. 
And so even in the Old Testament, when, when it says here that how can a young man keep his way pure? We understand that the answer to that is not as simple as having good thoughts about God. But the answer to having purity in our hearts and in our minds and our lives comes by understanding that in order to see God's face, we ourselves have to renounce sin and to love God. Here in the light of the New Testament, in the light of what Jesus has done, the definition of purity is not living the perfect life. It can't be. We'd all fail. The definition of purity is not trying to live that moral life day by day without fail. It can't be. We all fail. But where is the starting point of where we see God? What does the pure heart look like? The pure heart has been given or created on that cross. You see, at that cross, God has made salvation for those who believe. And salvation is seeing the face of God. God makes our hearts pure when we come to faith in him, repenting of our sins and trusting in him. That great act of what we call theology, justification by faith, is a once and for all thing that opens our eyes to see God's great love for us. And for the first time, we see Jesus face to face, not as a historical figure, not as, as perhaps one of many gods, but we see him as the Son of God, the Son of God, the Savior who has come to save those who believe in him. It's as if he was in front of you all the time. And then one day, God opens your eyes to see, this is the one who loves me. And your heart is captured. No other will do. You belong to him, and he belongs to you. But as we walk in our Christian life, what does it mean to keep our hearts pure? What does it mean to keep seeing God, if I can put it that way? What does it mean to keep being in his presence? Christian. To see God's face our duty is to continue to repent and to receive forgiveness. It's our constant reflection upon God and his glory 
and his laws that we see our sinfulness, our weaknesses, and we repent. And in our repentance, we receive God's forgiveness and God's love. And it's in doing these two things that we meet God face to face every moment. It is special in the Christian walk. It is special in the Christian religion. People will often say, you can see God in nature. That's true. People will say, you can see God in other people. That is somewhat true. But that has been given to all people. It's general revelation. But to see the face of God is to see Jesus on the cross and the forgiveness that he's given. To see the face of God is to come in repentance to him and to ask for forgiveness and to experience that forgiveness. That is where we see Jesus. That is where we see God in all his glory. And it's there that you and I have a pure heart. We could go so far as to say, blessed are those who trust in Jesus. Blessed are those who repent and receive forgiveness. For they are pure of heart and they will see God. And so the question for all of us is, is always, how much do we examine our hearts and see the sinfulness that is there? How much do we cry out to the Lord and to allow us to allow him to forgive us? For there we will find Again, not simply a judge, but a father who loves us and forgives us. Now, in order for us to do that, in order for us to, to walk faithfully in God, he's given us his word. And this is the beauty of Psalm 119. The psalmist understands that the only way for him to understand who he is in light of God, in order to keep in step with God, but in order to, to see him and to love him, is through his word. The first thing that he does is he meditates on God's truth. He meditates on God's truth. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. You know, we live in a day and age where we people do want to see God. I, I, I don't doubt that at all. People want purpose in this life. People want a God. Now, some want God for, for selfish purposes. They, they just want a better life. Some, want a God, someone, some of us just want a God to invoke so that we can, you know, have revenge on that guy who just cut us, cut us off in 85. But all of us 
desire something that's bigger than us, to, to explain what's happening in this world. And even we as Christians, my biggest lament is that we've lost our love for God's word. We've sought after, after gurus or people who can sort of just give us 10-minute messages to, to hear one or two things we can take back with us. In fact, for many of us, the only exposure we really have to God's word is coming to church on every Sunday. And what does the psalmist say here? I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. The disposition of a Christian, the disposition of one who has seen the face of God is to continue to see the face of God. For once you've seen the face of God, you, you've seen love, forgiveness, purpose in its totality. You've seen a personal God who's come into your life and is walking with you. And for us to keep that intimacy with our Lord, it's about meditating on God's word. You know, it's too funny. I'm kind of ashamed to say this, but um, I know about two-thirds of every 80s pop music that comes on the radio. About two-thirds. I go into the Target or go into one of these, these supermarkets or wherever that plays 80s music, and I'm singing. Inside my head, of course. I'm singing. And it's amazing how much I've hidden those words in my heart. It's amazing how quickly I can recall those words. It's amazing when I think about it how much in the 80s I would play that music over and over again, sing it over and over again, and it's just become a part of who I am. Granted, I don't really understand some of the lyrics and what they say, which makes it even more amazing. I know the words. And what's even more amazing by that is I didn't have to try. But somehow that music soothed my soul. I was not one of those people who sat there with my cassette player rewind, play, rewind, play, writing down the lyrics, trying to impress people by saying, hey, I know all the lyrics to this song. That wasn't me. There were people like that, but that wasn't me. <laughs> you just sang and sang and sang. I was meditating. I was hiding those words in my heart. I was delighting and even today, when I hear an 80s song, what happens? You start reminiscing. You start thinking, where was I when this song came out? What were the hardships? 
What were the delights? Who were the people in my life? How did I change? How was I immature? <laughs> the call for us is to, to do likewise. But there's a greater delight, a greater joy, a greater balm in God's word. If we meditate on God's word, if we think about it day and night, if we allow it to change the manner in which we think and perceive the world, to see the world as God sees it, will that not encourage us more? and change us into people who see God's face day to day? You know, growing up, I tried to play violin. I was really bad. I had this violin teacher. She taught all the students who made it to the Philadelphia Youth Orchestra. I mean, all of them. This was like in 19... 86 or something, and she charged back then like $100 an hour. You know, right now, she would, I don't know how much she charged, but she was very eclectic. We'd go to her house. She, she had chickens in her basement, and the whole place smelled like chicken, chickens. Um, but I remember I was working on this one piece, and eventually she gave up on me, and she passed me on to another teacher. But anyway, but um, I remember um, working on this one piece, and, and I asked her, how, how can I memorize this? And she stared at me. She got like, what do you mean how you memorize this? I said, well, what are some techniques to memorize this? What do you mean? This is a, you play this piece over and over again. You look at each stanza and each phrase and you figure out how you want to play it. You become almost one with the music. That's what a good musician does. You don't memorize it. You become one with the music. I was like, whoa, that was kind of mind-blown. She said, you show me a person who memorizes music simply to memorize it. I'll show you someone who doesn't understand music. I'll show you someone who doesn't appreciate music. But show me someone who simply listens over, who plays over and over, trying to understand each stanza, each note, each phrase. They don't need to memorize. They know it. Our duty as God's people is not to memorize and to read. to fellowship deeply with God's word. Purity. You will see God. The second thing that, that the, the, the psalmist talks about is, is, is declaring God's word, or declaring his truth um, to all people. Number, verse 13. 
With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the ways of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. There's, there's something about God's word because it is truth. Because it does change you. Because it does change your aspect of reality. That you start to declare it to one another, to yourself, and to others. I wish there was a scripture noreban, a scripture karaoke place. Can you believe, could you, could you imagine that? Could you imagine go to a karaoke bar and go, look, look, John chapter one. I'm going to recite John chapter one. Everyone just listen, I'm gonna, I have the best voice for John chapter one. And to declare and to read and delight in the words that come out of your mouth. There's power in that declaration. That when those words come out of your mouth, they become real. I don't know when you first, some of you who, who've, uh, who are married, and you remember that day. I hope you remember that day. Um, when you first said, I love you. It was the most awkward. It's, it's awkward. It's wonderful, but it's awkward. Why? Because it's the first time you've ever done it, so you don't know what's supposed to happen. Some of you were waiting for that day. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's awkward. But all of a sudden, reality is shaped. Things have changed. When I declare to you God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. May your heart leap. May the joys of scripture as you declare them grow immensely. And may your heart never be satisfied but always be full as you declare his word. Finally and lastly, there's something interesting about purity. Purity has an ethical side to it. See, it says, when we keep our hearts pure, we see God. When we keep our hearts pure, we have fellowship with God. When we keep our hearts pure, God's presence is is manifested in us. But a pure heart also bears its fruit. And without this fruit, and this is why this is so important, without this fruit, we need to go back and say, am I really meditating on God's word? Am I really keeping my heart pure? Am I really seeing the face of God? Because out of a pure heart, out of the heart of someone who's seen God's face, is born sincere love for others. Sincere love for others. 
Have you ever found it really difficult to forgive someone? I think many of us have. When it's difficult to forgive someone, it's difficult to go to the cross and ask for God for forgiveness. When you harbor resentment, it's difficult to go back to the cross and ask for forgiveness and to receive forgiveness. Most of us here who are second-gen Asian-Americans, Korean-Americans, we, we, we sort of understand this, and my generation understands this. We, we have issues with the immigrant generation and how they taught faith to us. We saw it too much um, mixed with um, just socialization, um, mixed with moralism. And there's a lot of second-generation English-speaking pastors who still can't forgive the first generation. Let me tell you, their ministries are hard. Because how can you preach and teach forgiveness if you haven't forgiven the generation before? And if you can't ask God forgiveness and receive forgiveness, your heart's not pure. And if your heart's not pure, then you can't love others. And if you can't love others, everyone sees that there's something a little bit amiss with the God that you're worshiping. James chapter 3, verse 17, but I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, Peter says it this way, Having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth, for what? A sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. When you have seen the face of God and your heart is made pure, this purity again is not a moral pure purity. This purity is not what the world wants you to do to be sort of sexually pure or whatever, whatever they, they want nowadays so that you can have some sort of standing in society. No, this purity is seeing Jesus. And in seeing Jesus, the hearts of people have sincere love for others as well. I ask of you, how is your love for other people? Are you a complainer? Do you see others as competition? Do you measure each other up? Or do you realize that your Savior is all you need? Instead, you look at one another and you simply say, how can I love them? How can I be long-suffering in their lives? How can I simply show up day by day and say, hey, how are you? Do you get burned out too quickly because you're relying on your own strength? Let the love of our Lord 
the purity of his word dwell richly in you. And God promises that not only will you be satisfied, but you'll be capable witnesses to all of the love of Christ. And then all the peoples will come here, perhaps, I hope, and say, these people are strange. Same problems, same issues, same difficulties. They talk about it all, but they don't grumble. They don't complain. They love. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us. May we be worthy to be called not only his disciples, but his sons and daughters. May we show forth that love in such a way that we ourselves are filled with his presence. And may we be glad and joyful all the days of our lives. Let's pray.